Good evening, dummies. Matthew Spear from Don't Unfriend Me. Yes, I called you dummies. Don't worry. I'll have a little intro after this. It takes about a minute and it walks you through what my show's about. A little bit of advertising. Folks, I am self-made. I am not funded by the big banks. I have to do this myself. So bear with me that I have a little promo. It used to be a lot longer than this. So suck it up, buttercup. Episode 260. It's not 265. It's 266. I'll have to fix that in post. We'll get it in post. Black Lives Matter, Thin Blue Line, Back the Blue, all on the show tonight. A little bit of a different take. Instead of telling you and defending why cops are good, which seems to be why we're on the defense all the time about the police, I'm going to go on the offense. I'm going to tell you why cops are amazing, what their everyday job looks like. Should be a fun show. Stick around. I will be right back after these important messages. Hey, dummies, this is Matt from Don't Unfriend Me. What is a dummy? A dummy is a... Don't unfriend me. It's an acronym. It's not an insult. So if you hear me say it throughout the show, please don't take offense. Second, if you would do me a favor and like, share, and subscribe, you can find all of my sites, Facebook, YouTube, Apple, Instagram, all the podcasts you can think of, and Rumble. Stop on by, say hello. It's at Don't Unfriend Me Show. I would greatly appreciate it. Last but not least, you can go to don'tunfriendme.com and follow my blog, all of my videos there. You can also hit the shop where I've got Don't Unfriend Me gear like this shirt that you can peruse and find something that you enjoy and support the show. All Made in America, 10% goes to Travis Mannion Foundation for every purchase and veterans get a discount. So thank you. There's my quick advertisement. I'll play this before the show instead of doing it live and hopefully it makes things go faster. Thanks, dummies. I appreciate it. From an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. A couple people were getting upset saying, oh, the show, it takes like two and a half minutes. I know. It's like when we invent a... uh, a time travel instant porter machine and uh, go ahead and want to go to Chicago, step on in and zap. You're there. You want to go to New York? Boom. You want to go to Bali or the Ukraine? Certainly don't want to go to the Ukraine right now. Boom. You snap and you're right there. But the DMV will still take like seven seconds. Dane Cook said that. Anyway, folks, I need to advertise. Deal with it. We're going to have a good show tonight. Let's get started. By the way, Matthew Spear, I am your host. I have a new camera I'm working out tonight. Bear with me. We will try to make it awesome. I spare no expense. Blue lives still matter. I have been fairly open and unapologetic about my support for the men and women in blue. I remember seeing my uncle come home and it seemed like he aged every day. He remained on the force. I have always had a healthy dose of respect for most people who really put their lives on the line every day. My father is a Marine and was a fire captain for Ventura County Fire. My brother-in-law was a pilot in the Air Force. I served myself, grandparents, friends, etc. You get the point. But I see a completely different perspective being upheld in today's society that all cops are bad. This couldn't be further from the truth. And after the media has bombarded and lambasted the police over the last 10 years, it is hard to believe that officers were revered like airline pilots in the 60s. 
just a decade ago. From the TV show Cops to movies like Die Hard and NYPD Blue, the fall from grace was never inflicted, but a forced amputation from the media elite, politicians, and the court of public-fed opinion. People opine about everything, and this topic is no different. From Blue Lives Matter to pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon, there is a contentious debate going on that focus on, focuses on the terrible, the easily digested, and outlier numbers to quantify opinions that are truly what some meaningless. What find offensive is also free speech. What's ironic here is that marchers were being protected by the very officers targeted in the chant. Pigs in a blanket, fry like bacon! So instead of telling you why cops are bad or what they should do differently, I'm going to do something completely unheard of. I'm going to tell you what they actually do. Because unless you are one, live with one, or have been one, you don't know, and nobody is talking about this. How an officer spends his or her working day has much to do with his assignment and the agency where he works. Police officers can be assigned to uninformed uh or ununiformed patrol, traffic investigations, detectives, training, school resource program, or supervisor duties. I'll focus on the role most people associate with policing, that of the uniformed police officer. Prior to work, officers assemble their uniforms and equipment and possibly do some preparation or preventive maintenance. Some officers dress for work at home and some wear street clothes to work and dress in a locker room. An officer might ensure his shoes and brass, the snap covers of his Sam Brown gun belt, and various insignia pins on his uniform shirt are shined. His sidearm is loaded and serviceable, and his flashlight has fresh batteries or is fully charged if it's rechargeable. Both shifts begin with a briefing or roll call session of 10 to 30 minutes. Here, a supervisor will assign beats, patrol sectors, and radio call numbers, advise of any special details or assignments that might have to be covered during the shift. For an example, a high school football game is set to end at 10 p.m., and the officer should be in the area for traffic control at that time and brief everyone on any ongoing crime patterns or bolos, which are be on the lookouts. So officers will know to watch for specific behaviors, people, or vehicles, Briefing frequently incorporates some brief training material on new case law, gang activity, symptoms of drug abuse, or other topics. The briefing session may include an inspection of everyone's uniform and equipment. The officer then goes to his assigned patrol car and inspects it for function of all regular and special equipment, headlights, turn signals, emergency lights, siren, etc. And then to replace any missing supplies from the usual complement of first aid kits, road flares, crime scene, fire extinguisher, etc. The officer uses his radio to report he is in service at the time to the dispatcher and begins his patrol. If the officer working during the weekday, he may be called into court to testify on a case from previous shifts in the weeks or even years before. If he works at night or on the weekends, he may be called into court during his off-duty hours as well. He will be paid overtime if this happens. When he plans a vacation, he has to notify the local prosecutor's office of his planned absence 
so they can request uh, continuances for any case set to be heard during that time. When not assigned to a call for service, officers are generally free to roam uh, within their patrol sector and initiate any activity they see as worthy. This includes stopping cars for traffic violations, interviewing suspicious and looking people, investigating conditions that are JDLR, just don't look right, for evidence of criminal activity and chatting with business people and neighborhood people. If the officer has a patrol car computer capable of making inquiries to the various criminal database for police, such as the NCIC, that's the National Crime Information Center, he may check the license plates of cars he sees to determine if they are stolen or the registered owner is wanted. Good patrol officers have a high level of on-site activity and are seldom idle or driving aimlessly for very long. At some point, the dispatcher will notify the officer of a call for service, either by voice radio or by sending the call into text to his patrol car computer. Calls for service can just be anything from domestic quarrels, thefts from a business or home, burglary, a vehicle accident, or just anything within a question or concern. People will call the police when they don't know who else to call, so a good patrol officer knows the available resources in the community and how to reach them. It's highly likely the officer will spend some time on these public service and order maintenance matters than on actual law enforcement. If a call for service requires the filing of a report, the officer may complete the report in the field or return to the station. Most officers with patrol car computers can file paperless reports from the field, but this requires sitting in the car for extended periods in a posture not conducive to typing because of the space restrictions in the car. While typing the report, the officer can also lose his sense of situational awareness and not notice a potential hazard approaching him. This is why officers will sometimes park in the middle of a large empty parking lot or other open space while doing paperwork. The buffer of the open space makes it difficult to approach the officer's car without him observing the approach. The officer may also have to go to the station to book evidence related to a case. If an officer recovers narcotics or physical evidence at a crime scene, he has to protect the chain of custody and the document, the location, the status of the evidence. From time to time, it is recovered until it is introduced as evidence in court. If the evidence is left unattended in the car, the chain of custody can be broken and the value of the evidence lost. Officers have to make physical arrests of persons when they are found to have an outstanding arrest warrant, when they commit an offense in the officer's presence, such as drunk driving that requires booking, or when they have probable cause for an arrest, and the circumstances dictate that the person be taken into custody immediately instead of being issued a summons or a citation to appear in court. When this happens, the officer must search the person thoroughly to ensure they have no weapons on their person that could be used to harm the officer. The officer may also search for narcotics or other contraband that the person arrested might want to try to dump or swallow before he or she reaches the jail. This is one of the reasons for checking out the patrol car thoroughly before beginning the shift. If an officer finds pills or a baggie of marijuana in the back of the car, he needs to be certain it was not there before he puts his prisoner in the vehicle. If his prisoner is uninjured or injured, the officer will have to take him to the local hospital for examination and treatment before the jail will accept them. Most officers are on a first-name basis with the local emergency room staff. Local practice will determine where the officer books his prisoner. If he works for a city police department, the city may have its own jail. More commonly, he will go to the county jail run by the sheriff's department. On arrival there, he will get his prisoner out of the car. 
lock his sidearm in a gun locker provided for that purpose, and turn the prisoner over to the booking officer or deputy. The booking officer usually searches the prisoner in the officer's presence, again to ensure the prisoner has no contraband, and returns the officer's handcuffs to him. The officer completes whatever paperwork the jail requires, retrieves his gun, and returns it to his car. Arrests almost always require filing a report. Again, the officer may file his report from the field or go to the station to do it. The officer may have his mid-shift mealtime assigned at roll call, but more commonly, he is free to take his lunch when activity permits. He might go to the station to eat a lunch bought from home or eat it in a local restaurant. Officers may also have work or coffee breaks, and they can take that at will. While on break or at lunch, the officer has to have his or her portable radio and be available for call. In most agencies, the lunch will be interrupted by a call at least once a week. At the end of the shift, the officer returns to the station, refuels the patrol car, and turns in any outstanding paperwork before going home. Sounds like a lot. It's because it is. The next thing we will talk about is unarmed shootings. You know, the talking points from the left that espouse that every black youth in America is being systematically hunted for the color of their skin. This is another blatant lie that has been exacerbated beyond reproach. This has to do with the quirks of small numbers and statistics and per capita representation of an otherwise rare event. So this is really only reflecting the disposition of a small subgroup categorized superficial by their racial status. This will then be extrapolated out to reflect incident of or prevalence rates for assigned racial groups or populations. And of course, certain socioeconomic realities found within a population might be reflected in various statistics. For example, this is why Asians are less likely than whites to be shot by police. They have higher incomes, education, intact families, less debt, less drug use, etc. So there, so there is a smaller underclass of Asians engaged in criminal or violent acts that end in a police shooting compared to whites. If we are asking about stats and socioeconomic factors associated with racial or ethnic populations, we might explore both extremes. Why are Asians less likely to be shot by police and blacks more likely? Even if we are using these relative terms for this rare event of police shootings, despite the modern focus on or obsession with racism and oppression and various neo-Marxist critiques of systems of social imbalance, the reality is the shootings on the ground tend to proceed according to a simpler arithmetic. Higher rates of poverty and broken homes and intergenerational dysfunction in various metrics will manifest in a higher rate of criminality within the subgroup. This might lead to a violent confrontation with law enforcement. Conversely, higher incomes and education levels and two-parent homes and family, functionally, less household debt, family cohesion, and support the lower DV rates and separation rates, higher expectations of children, etc., will lead to a higher rate of stability and social standing. This will lead to a less criminality and confrontation with law enforcement. But what happens when camera meets context, or the lack thereof? We've all seen the videos, we've all seen the half-baked schemes to show only a portion of the story, the story that only tells one side. Well, tonight I will show you a shooting that will never see any of the major mass nightly news, because it negates the narrative. This doesn't mean all shootings are justified, it means that the media could show videos like this to help encroach on the fear and lack of proper education for youth or indeed breaking the law, and prevent them from getting shot. At the very least, it shows a dedication to the good side 
of law enforcement. On December 6th, school resource officer Byron Bolter had just left the day for Hunter's Lane High School when he approached a two-car crash. Officer Bolter stopped to assist those involved in the wreck when he encountered 20-year-old Rod Reed, who reached for a gun located on the dashboard of the Chevrolet Camaro he was driving prior to the crash. Bolter fired his weapon and struck Reed in the leg. Reed was taken to Vanderbilt University Medical Center, where he's in stable condition. This following video is edited and does not show the shooting. There should be no warning flag to the context, but I added it anyway just to be safe. Please, there's no blood or gore or anything else, but there's something very important that happens after the shooting. You'll hear the gunshot, you'll hear the victim, but you will not see anything. Take a watch. The audio is not engaged, happens very often in most of these, is that the officer will have the audio turned off to save battery life, but also because it really isn't important until there is a suspect or someone being interviewed. He exits the car, immediately sees the crash. Whoa, was anybody in here? Is anybody in here? Car smoking, person in the back's unconscious. Wearing their seatbelt or not, we don't know. But immediately, exfils the victim and gets them out and gets them to safety. As that car right now isn't smoking its radiator, but will continue to smoke in just a short period of time. Yeah. Now, the assailant in the hoodie and the black, the black hat... Officer Bolter walks by, does not suspect him, does not do anything. He has his hand on his sidearm. You can see that, and that's fine. Or he could be adjusting his radio. All fine. He's approaching a car that's involved in an accident. He's going to be safe. Watch what happens here when the suspect, Reed, I believe his name is, comes across to the passenger side. Hey, just leave that stuff in there, man. Just go ahead and go. So sees the gentleman in the in the hoodie come back. One gentleman who is in this decides to go ahead and leave, but Reed tends to kind of walk up and creep up to the car. Officer is watching both, has his hands on the car. He's not in the defensive position. I want you to see how quickly the officer has to make a decision right here to pull his weapon and fire. Go, go ahead and go, man. That quick. Literally a fraction of a second, Reed goes in for the gun. This officer pulls, aims, and fires. And look how close his head is to his midsection and his lower, lower torso. This officer is, has training, he's effective, and he's efficient at it. Makes one shot, fires one time. Does not unload a magazine into the young man. Puts one shot into his leg, gets behind the car, swings around to make sure that the assailant is down. Watch the rest. We'll watch this one more time in real time. Hey, just leave that stuff in there, man. Just go ahead and go. Go, go ahead and go, man. That quickly. Now, once again, we don't see the gunshot. We don't see any blood or anything like that. But watch Stop. how he Stop. responds. Stop! Make sure he's covered. 
wants to find out where the gun is. He has one hand on his gun. He is on trigger. He has every right to be on trigger at this point. And then he engages his radio. Why? He needs to call for backup. I'm stay, just stay down. Oh, stay down. Oh, stay down. Stay down. Put your hands up, buddy. Put your hands up for me. It's okay. I got shots fired. This is 35 Sam 32. Now you can see the car is starting to smoke. So there's obviously a fire that's no longer steam. It's inside the car. It's on the outside exterior. Maybe if maybe it looks like uh, a fuel line's been busted and one of the tires might be on fire. Either way, we need fire department. And he just shot a guy. And there's civilians and obviously first responders there who are also taking cover of this guy. I got shots fired. Uh, run me some backup. Where are we right now? 120. This is Dickerson and where? This is Dickerson and where? Just put your hands up for me, buddy. Dickerson. Where's the gun at? Now, from here on, I want you to listen to the officer. And this is important because there's people making comments live who obviously have never done a traffic stop in their life. They've never spent any time with police, and it doesn't matter to me. My point here is I want you to listen to the care in his voice. He's obviously a father, the way he speaks to this young man. He was justified in his shooting 120%, but listen to the care in his voice. I understand he just put a round in this guy's leg, but he could have shot him in the head. This officer had full control of his weapon. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he could have put that round anywhere he wanted. He put it in the, the, the least damaging spot on the assailant and got him down, which is his job. Just just leave it right there, buddy. It's okay, buddy. What, what, street, what cross street is that? Yeah, I got you, buddy. It said, uh, old Dobson. And old Dickerson, run me some 37, please. Okay, where where you hit? Where you hit? In my leg. Okay. In my leg. Okay. All right. Where's the gun, buddy? Over there somewhere. I don't know, sir. Why'd you reach for a kid? I was trying to get it out the car, sir. I know, man. Why'd you reach for it, kid? Obviously, the officer did everything right in this case. And why do I show you this? It's not to sit here and show you that black people make mistakes. It's not to show you that cops are perfect. But why would a police officer take the life of a black person? For the same reason they would take the life of a white or Asian person to defend their life or lives of others. There are millions upon millions of police interactions every year with both black and white people. And the vast majority either end peacefully or they end somewhat peaceably. The ones that don't are almost always a suspect resisting, trying to flee, or assaulting the officer. First, the idea that police just go around targeting African Americans out of pure racism or hatred is simply false and made up by those who wish to paint themselves as victims or further an agenda. Officer Bolter should be commended for his patience, heroism, and fulfilling his duty, but not because these things are unique, because it is so very unique to hear anything good in a world full of danger in an unforgiving job that has become deprived of thankful and appreciative citizens. Blue lives matter, and there isn't a but after that statement. It stands on its own. It stands for us, and it's time we stood for them. 
Folks, thank you so much for watching the show tonight. That's it for me. Please do me a favor and like, share, and subscribe if you would be so kind. Wonderful to have you. We have an after show after this. We're not done yet. We'll bring everybody on and listen to your comments, ignorant or otherwise, and share that with the rest. But before we go, I want to talk about the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. If you would do me a favor, any veteran that you know right now, especially to the holiday, we can see an increase of anywhere from two to three suicides a day during the holidays. Traumatic brain injury, PTS, anxiety, depression are all very real, and veterans need your help right now. Please reach out to a veteran if you could. Whoops, that thing's on my head. I'll get that in post, but maybe I won't. If you could also do me one favor, reach out, make that phone call. If you can't talk to the veteran, reach out to me. I'm a veteran. There are plenty of others on this show who will be more than happy to help you make that phone call. It's free of charge. It does not impact your duty station or your MOS, your rate, your job, whatever. It's confidential. And if you are not a veteran, it also works on uh, uh, non-veterans as well. Just reach out and make that phone call. They'll never turn anybody away. Folks, thanks so much for watching. I appreciate it. I'll be back tomorrow at 8.30 Eastern and stick around for after playtime, which is coming up right about meow. Thank you.